tell me, Death's Head, you want $20,000 to steal the TARDIS and only $20 to kill the Doctor? Special offer, yes. His name is Death's Head. He kills people for money. If you're one of his targets, then that's all you're going to know about him. If you're thinking of hiring him, then be warned. He's expensive and always collects on his debts. Have you ever wanted to time travel? If you make it to 8162, you just might get the chance. Josiah W. Dogvolter, the type of guy who'd sell his mother for a profit if he hadn't already done so, is about to patent his time machine. The Dogbolter Temporal Rocket, a marvel of modern design, to be used solely for educational and scientific purposes. Pfft, don't you believe it? Dogbolter's first use of the machine is to wreak vengeance on the Doctor. If Death's Head, someone with his own grudge against the Time Lord, happens to be the person Dogbolter hires for the vicious deed, then all the better. More murderous mayhem for everyone. Welcome back to Dehated. I've been hearing from many of you on why is it called Dehated? Death's Head and the Doctor, D-H-A-T-D. Come on, you know this. You've been listening for something odd teen episodes. You have been listening, haven't you? Anyway, as you should know, we have jumped from the Transformers and Doctor Who magazine appearances into Death's Head's own series. But since some of you may be new to this show, I'll remind everybody that the Doctor is the titular character from the television series Doctor Who. He's a Time Lord from the planet Gallifrey, travels time and space in his ship the TARDIS, and can regenerate into different bodies to extend his life. He's currently in his seventh incarnation in the stories we're reading. Death's Head is a robotic freelance peacekeeping agent. Don't call him a bounty hunter. He first appeared alongside Marvel's Transformers, but after a chance encounter with the Doctor, he was reduced in size from a giant robot to one closer to human-sized. As we know, our old pals D.H. and the Doctor have both been mucking about for a while separately. But this time, it looks like their paths are going to cross again. Will the Doctor be getting a new companion? Or will he be forced to regenerate before the end of the issue? Let's find out! Death's Head number 8 from Marvel UK. Writer Steve Parkhouse. Pencils Art Wetherill. Inks Steve Parkhouse. Letters Annie Parkhouse. Colors, Louise Cassell. Editor, Steve White. 
We open with Josiah W. Dogbolter talking up his company's latest invention, the Dogbolter Temporal Rocket. Dogbolter swears it will bring an end to the monopoly the Time Lords have on time travel. There's only one major problem. The device has yet to be tested. But that's okay. Dogbolter's got himself a plan to kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. He sends his faithful robotic servant, Hob, to hire Death's Head, who will use the device to travel through time to eliminate the Doctor, thus helping to ensure no Time Lord interference, as well as setting the device to explode so as to eliminate the need to pay Death's Head. It's brilliant! Several days later, D.H. arrives at Intravenous HQ. The Dogbolter Temporal Rocket is explained to him, strapped to his back, and he dives off the building's roof into the time stream. Our hero makes various appearances throughout history, including one in 1916 where he mistakes a tank for a distant relative before the two open fire on each other. We find the Doctor dressed in a jester outfit, performing in a play in the 20th century. Unfortunately for him, Death's Head also finds him, barging onto the stage and opening fire. Luckily, the Doctor manages to activate a trapdoor, sending D.H. to the floor while the Doctor makes a mad dash toward the back. As Death's Head recovers, he chases the Doctor, only to barge into the women's dressing room by mistake, causing a very embarrassed robot indeed. The Doctor escapes into his TARDIS just before the dock where the theater was explodes into flames. He tries to set the coordinates for random, but not before D.H. forces his way aboard. As D.H. draws down on the Time Lord, the Doctor notices D.H.'s equipment is making a noise, as if it's counting down to an explosion. He convinces D.H. that the Time Rocket is in fact a bomb. They set coordinates for a return to dog bolters. As the TARDIS materializes on the roof, Dog Bolter and Hob make a hasty exit to an elevator that will take them far below ground to safety from any explosions. Meanwhile, the Doctor uses DH's gun to blast the clasps loose from the backpack. It doesn't work as well as expected. Dog Bolter and Hob's elevator gets stuck. Unsure exactly how much time they have left, DH wants to know if the Doctor is any good at worrying. See, he never really learned how. And if the bomb goes off, well, DH is only going to oblivion. But the Doctor is going to hell. You're gonna burn in hell! Doc Bolter and Hob are still stuck. The doctor manages to use his trusty picklock. Notice, not the sonic screwdriver, having stopped using it back in his fifth incarnation, to get the device off Death's Head. Death's Head manages to toss the temporal rocket off his back and hop back into the TARDIS instants before it explodes on the top of Intravenous HQ. We see the TARDIS materialize safely on top of another building, another place, another time. The Doctor begins to chide Death's Head over how carelessly he takes lives and how rarely he's willing to change. 
D.H. points out that he changed his cloak only yesterday, and it's already ruined. The doctor tries fruitlessly once again to make a point with this head, but obviously isn't getting anywhere, so he leaves. Death's head, happy to be rid of the doctor, surveys his surroundings and realizes he has no clue where he's been left, as we the readers see the top of the Baxter building. I'll take a break right here and be back with my thoughts. Hi, I'm Professor Allen. You may know me from such shows as the Quarterbin Podcast, Shortbox Showcase, Dorkness to Light, and eventually the Coffee and Comics Podcast. But if there's one thing in comic books I love more than anything, it's love. As a matter of fact, I've been told many times that I am totally full of ship. So it's with much excitement that I tell you about my new show, which is all about the single greatest love story in all of comics. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. The Victor Von Doom, Sue Storm, fantastic fan fiction dramatization podcast of love show. In every episode, I will take one of the thousands of online fanfic love stories that have been written about Victor and Susan, or as their shippers call them, Vixen. And I will dramatize that story. Sound effects, romance, music, romance, drama, romance. This podcast will have it all. Again, that's K-I-S-S-I-N-G. The Victor Von Doom, Sue Storm, fantastic fan fiction dramatization podcast of love show. Coming soon to the Romantically Geeky Podcast Network. Welcome back, Death Setters. Let's get into the nitty-gritty. This issue is just downright fun. I was so happy for Death's Head and the Doctor to meet up again. Did I really want Death's Head to be a companion? Oh, goodness, no. That poor TARDIS would have been rubble in a matter of hours. But still, this is a fun issue. Great humor on the part of Death's Head, as always. And even the Doctor wasn't too much of a damper on things. I mean, the Doctor is always fun in his own stories. But every once in a while, when he pops in on Friends, or Death's Head, he gets to play the wet blanket. Luckily, he was just as much fun as the rest of the cast this time. Our old pal Dog Bolter got to show up again. He's been hopping around. Get it? Because he's a frog. You know. Ha! Since Doctor Who magazine number 86, five years prior. Too bad he pretty much doesn't survive, as we'll never see him again. Unless you count Doctor Who magazine number 527 years later, but I'm pretty sure it's safe to say this is his death. The art, as always, is amazing. It's hard for some artists to make a cold, heartless robot show emotion, but it's done here in such a fantastic way that you can't help but love it. Death's head look when he walks in on the ladies is hilarious. 
The doctor looks spot on from his television and comic appearances elsewhere, so no complaints. The colors all pop vibrantly and make an enjoyable comic. The only complaint could be that the TARDIS is pretty dark and undetailed. But let's see you draw a TARDIS interior and make it exciting. Yeah, that's what I thought. Sadly, Marvel UK books are still relatively hard to find too easily in many parts of the US. But if you can find this issue, I'm sure it'll be fairly inexpensive. Unless your shop is run by a huge Doctor Who fan. So go ahead and grab it. This book satisfies the tastes of both styles of fans of this show, so I don't expect anybody to be disappointed. Time for another promo break, and when I get back, it's time for your feedback. Comic book fans rule the world. After years of living on the fringes of pop culture, we have taken over movies, TV, and podcasts. In fact, there is a comic podcast for everyone. If you love DC, Marvel, or the works of a specific creator, there is a show for you. Heck, I've even heard about these two fools who are covering Secret Wars 2, and I use that book to line my birdcage. However, as many shows as there are out there, no one is covering the heart of comic collecting. No one has dared to dive into what literally binds together the books we love so much. Staples. That's right, coming in 2018 from the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network, is a 24-part series on the small pieces of metal that hold our comics and our lives together. We will talk about staple placement, staple quality, and we will make ourselves fully vulnerable as we discuss the dark days when a staple is missing or broken, and a page in the middle of your beloved comic falls like a broken bird to the ground. We will bring in guests such as Booger McFlutternut, Chief Stapling Officer at the Diamond Comic Printing Factory, he will talk about the origin of the staple, why 2.5 centimeter aluminum staples are so much better than 2.4 centimeter aluminum staples, and he will even take us behind the scenes of Staplegate 2004, revealing never before heard details about the week that shook us all. We will also have Vermont author Flemington Woodley Smith, whose post apocalyptic novel about a world without staples dared to ask the question what if we were the staple remover all along? So push down hard and watch your fingers as we bring you staples from the Pulp to Pixel podcast network. Alrighty, time to open up the old email program here. As a reminder, all email can be sent to dhated at compuscape.com. Hold on a second. Gotta, it's an old program. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, I gotta wait for it to load. One eternity later. Ugh, fine. I, I really got to get a new email. Any, anyway, it, it's loaded now. Just a reminder that our last episode covered Slimmer from the reprint collection Enemy of the Daleks. First email comes from our coffee-loving friend, Stella. She writes, OMG! I can't believe that Gromungus became a black hole. To think that somebody would be so gluttonous to want to eat the entire universe. I almost spilled my grande non-fat vanilla latte. I was so shocked at the ending. Oh, that's Stella. Hope she didn't get any coffee stains on her book. Next, we heard from some guy calling himself the... Oh, it's the extra forgivable shag. Everybody 
kind of let out your collective groans. Man, I tuned in hoping for serious coverage of my man Death's Head 2. What do I get? Some kind of stupid kid show adaptation stuff. Bah! It's no wonder Doctor Who was cancelled around this time. Get me back to the Death's Head coverage already. Wow, so much for extra forgivable. Well, Mr. Shag, we haven't quite gotten to Death's Head 2 just yet, but I hope this episode was good enough coverage for Death's Head, even if it did have the Doctor in it. it looks like our old friend Ryan Daly wrote us again. Dear Dehated, I know I'm behind on listening to these episodes, but I wanted to let you know I'm still digging the show and thought you should know that my wife and I agreed to name our next child Sprat after that kid that teams up with D.H. after he fought the Dragon Claws. I've got high hopes for that kid. Well, Ryan, that sounds great, but, uh, well, uh, m- m- moving on, we've got one more email. This one from... Anonymous? Huh. It says... Well, it doesn't say anything. It's a drawing of Death's Head, and for some reason the Ninth Doctor must be easier to draw. And... Well, they're both flipping me the bird. Thanks. Thanks so much. And with that, another episode draws to a close. A big thanks to our buddy and yours, Jerry Green of Bat Books for Beginners podcast for the opening dialogue and narration. He is a man of many talents, and I suggest you all go listen to his show, even if you don't like Batman. And from here, I will bid you all a fond farewell. And remember, it's only manipulating the time stream if you get caught. Spider-Man and the Cupcake Caper. Peter Parker is in Mary Jane Watson's apartment when suddenly he sees a familiar enemy. MJ, you'll have to excuse me for a minute. Uh Uh-uh. You have this thing, Tiger, and I hate it. Every time there's trouble, you disappear. Relax, MJ. All I want to do is get some milk we have with these hostess cupcakes. Uh, Sure, Peter. 
anything to avoid reality. But at least this time, you left me with a really delicious snack. Devil's food cake, chocolate, king creamy filling. I hate having Mary Jane think I'm a coward, but there's no other way I can slip into my Spider-Man role. And only Spidey can handle Man Mountain Marco. Don't look now, Marco, but the mountain just became a molehill. Webhead, we don't understand you, but we sure appreciate the help. Thanks, guys. Meanwhile, I've got a quart of grade A to deliver. Sorry it took me so long, MJ, but I um, got a little bit uh, distracted. Yeah. Well, no sweat, Peter. The hostess cupcakes you left me with were a lot more rewarding to me than you ever been. Brother, if she only knew. You get a big delight in every bite of hostess cupcakes.